Episode number 60! Episode number 16 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I am your host. My name is Denzel, a.k.a. Harry Potter, a.k.a. DeBron James. And we are back like Jordan wearing the faux five. I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all of the love and all of the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essential workers out there. And finally, thank you to all the people who are out here continuously using their voices to affect change in a positive way. And we always, 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 always have to start the shows with the thank yous because the thank yous are very, very, very important. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias podcast available for merch for <laughs> for purchase. You can visit the website bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com. B-R-O-N-X-B-I-A-S-P-O-D dot M-Y-S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com. Bronx Bias Pod dot my Shopify dot com. Check it out. If you're a fan of the show, if you like listening, check out the site. Come fuck with me. I got hoodies on there. I got t-shirts. I got tote bags. I got COVID masks. I got stickers and much, much more to come. So if you're a fan of the show and you want to give me a little extra support, I truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, You could visit the site. It's up there. The products are quality material. And I'm just a young black man trying to get some money in his pocket and stay out of trouble. So if you feel so inclined to help a brother out, it will be truly appreciated. And I do sincerely appreciate 
all the people who have purchased merchandise. Um, it is not lost on me and how much it means to me. So I'm very much appreciative of everyone who supports me in any way that they can. Um, so that is just another way that you can along with listening to the show. But with all that being said, we are going to have a great, 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 great show today. It's fully packed, fully packed. You know, that's what happens when you miss a week. <laughs> that's what happens when you miss a week. You get a whole bunch of shit now you got to talk about and you got to figure out a way to like put it together. But we're going to have a great, great, great show today. And I'm in an amazing mood. I'm in a tremendous mood and I am ready to go. So let's get it. I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing song by an amazing collection of artists. It is called Champions by Kanye West, Gucci Man, Big Sean, 2 Chains, Travis Scott, Yo Gotti, Quavo, and Designer. It was originally supposed to be put on the Good Music compilation album called Cruel Summer, but ultimately was scrapped and released as a single in 2016. One of the greatest posse cut songs ever, and it's a really long song, so I definitely couldn't stretch it as far as I could. I got a good one minute and about 40 seconds out of it, but it's really like a five minute song. And it's just that, you know, like I always say, I always in the intros, I always try to pick songs that just get me that energy, that up-tempo shit. I love, you know, getting that fast BPM or, you know, just really up-tempo, vibrant music to start the shows with. It's kind of weird to like start a show with like smoother R&B or like just smoother sounds. I want to get the energy up to a thousand when we start, you know what I'm saying? And then over the course of the pod, when we get to the end, it's like, okay, now we can cool out. But shout out to Kanye. You already know. You guys already know. I'm not speaking about Kanye anymore in terms of music, at least at this juncture, because you guys have heard me spew <laughs> his sing his praises for the last, what, two episodes at, at one point or the other. So you guys already know how I feel about Kanye. It's a great song, and hopefully they can... I don't know what the good music situation is right now. You know, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people who are dissatisfied. You know, Tiana Taylor, one of the biggest people who are dissatisfied with the label. But if they ever got to a point where they can make another good music compilation album, oh, man, that shit would be lit. That shit would be lit. So I'm just putting it out there. Kanye, if that's something that's in your heart, we will listen to it. Okay. All right. So shout out to Kanye. Shout out to all the artists involved. Great song. Great way to start the show. Now it is time for my favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast. It is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, Bronx Facts is the segment I like to do at the beginning of each show, just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York, that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York. So, without any further ado, your Bronx Fact for today is Wallworks, New York is a contemporary art gallery in the South Bronx dedicated to bringing art back uptown. Wallworks is dedicated to showcasing new and exciting art from both emerging as well as established artists, mixing downtown sensibilities with uptown style. And it is also a great place for exploration. This gallery is a passion project of legendary graffiti pioneer Crash and entrepreneur Robert Cantor. 
Wallwork seeks to remind people of the rich culture of the Bronx and encourages everyone to take a trip uptown. For more information on Wallworks, you can visit their website at wallworksny.com. And that is your Bronx Fact for episode number 60. Damn, son, where'd you find this? All right, so we're getting right to the shits today. Our top topic for this week, um, probably the only quote-unquote serious topic that we have to discuss um, it was about the it, and it has to deal with the pipeline hack, which caused a gas shortage along the East Coast. Um, so first, I'm going to read you an article uh, from CNET and then we'll go from there. So the headline reads pipeline hack is the gas shortage over now that colonial is back up. The major East Coast pipeline is again serving all of its markets, though it may take a few days to get back to full service. Colonial Pipeline was the target of a ransomware attack that forced it to shut down operations. Colonial Pipeline, which shut down after a ransomware attack last week, has resumed deliveries to all markets, a move that will likely relieve concerns of a gas shortage along the East Coast. Those fears prompted hoarding and a panic buying of gas that exacerbated the problem, even as state and federal officials warned against such actions. The Majorum Petroleum Pipeline had been closed since last Friday when a ransomware infections was found on its computer system. The shutdown affected the supply of gas in parts of the East Coast, with some people waiting more than an hour at filling stations. Quote, Colonial Pipeline can now report that we have restarted our entire pipeline system and that product delivery has commenced to all markets that we serve, the company tweeted on Thursday afternoon. Still, the company cautioned that some markets may continue to experience interruptions and that it would take several days until the product delivery supply chain returned to normal. The ransomware infection at Colonial Hi, oh, I'm sorry. The ransomware infection at Colonial Pipeline highlighted the vulnerability of the country's critical infrastructure, which has been the target of an increasing number of cyber attacks. Cities, schools, and hospitals have all been hit by cyber criminals who scramble a victim's computer and then extort a payment out of them to decrypt it. On Wednesday, President Joe Biden signed an executive order aiming at strengthening the U.S.'s cybersecurity. The wide-ranging action includes the creation of cyber safety review of a cyber safety review board that will convene after major incidents such as this. Members of the Defense and Justice Department, several security agencies, and private sector specialists will be on the board. The FBI blames the attack on a group called Darkside, which is believed to be based in Russia. Uh, hackers use ransomware, which is a type of malware, to scramble a computer's company data and hold it hostage until a ransom is paid. In a double extortion scheme, the attackers pilfer the data and then threaten to publish it. On Thursday, Bloomberg reported that Colonial paid nearly $5 million in ransom for software to decrypt its computers. The report contradicted an earlier story by the Washington Post that the company was restoring its data from backups and did not plan to pay the hackers. 
Bloomberg reported that the software tool, which was paid for with an unspecified amount of cryptocurrency, was slow was so slow that Colonial continued restoring its system from backups. And lastly, gas prices. On Thursday, the average price for a gallon of gas in the U.S. jumped to nearly three dollars and three cents, up more than seven cents from the previous week, according to Gas Buddy, which is a gas pricing app. A Gas Buddy analyst told MarketWatch that the rise reflected the reopening of the U.S. economy, though it may have been accelerated by the pipeline shut down. So, where do where do we even start with this? First. Let me just say, like, this is just my first thought, like, especially dealing with the last year of COVID. Um, or, or let me rephrase, especially dealing with the first wave of COVID and then like fast forwarding to now with this issue. I know personally that like if there was ever a major thing like you see depicted in movies like a zombie apocalypse or like some major situation where maybe resources were become will become scarce either we all will become zombies or we all will die fighting each other for supplies i swear because every single time there's something where there's a shortage or there's a small supply or there's a delay in something there's always a section of the population who decides to go to local places and buy out the entire supply of the thing that's scarce now, again, I understand the every man for themselves mentality, but it's like it never fails. I saw pictures on Twitter. I saw pictures on Instagram. I saw pictures on the New York Times of people literally going to gas stations where there was gas available and filling up any container that they had with gas because of this shortage that we could all imagine would be temporary. But it's just like panic is like something that makes people act crazy. So while I say, when I mentioned COVID, remember at the beginning of COVID, there was a shortage in supplies. So toilet paper, baby wipes, uh, cleaning supplies, et cetera, maybe some food, fresh foods or perishable items. And you would see videos of people fighting each other for bounty, toilet paper towels, or fighting each other for Charmin toilet paper, fighting each other for Lysol wipes. And in a situation where there's a shortage of something, the worst thing that to do is hoard. That's the worst thing to do. You have to ration what you have. You don't hoard it all. For example, if there is a blackout, right? A local blackout just means the power goes out and you have food in the house. Are you going to make a full course, three, four course meal? On the first day of the blackout, or are you going to ration out the food so it'll last you for however long the blackout will last? So that way you can make sure that you eat and have good water to drink. But, you know, when until your power can get restored, it's the wildest thing in the world to me. So I see literally people taking up uh, empty laundry detergent containers, taking uh, uh, like uh, water coolers, taking the big uh, what's the. it's like a um, dang, I can't remember the name. And I've I've seen that. I, I can't remember the name of one thing I saw. But and I also saw people going as extreme of taking garbage bags, like hefty trash bags, and filling it up with gasoline and putting it in their cars and leaving. And it's like you like if there was ever a major worldwide 
emergency situation, like I feel like we all will die. Like I feel like we all will die because we're all just probably the thing. The major disaster probably won't kill us. We'll probably just all kill each other at the local grocery store trying to get toilet paper. Like it's it never fails, and it's something that really boggles my mind. I don't know. It, it's just so strange to me. It's so strange. Like every single time something happens, a hurricane or something where there may be a shortage on supplies, people literally lose their fucking minds. Like, so I don't know, man. But that's just off on a tangent. I have other thoughts and questions about this attack. The first is so ransomware, malware, cyber criminals, hackers, etc., has been prevalent for a very long time very 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 long like that's why they have companies like lifelock companies like norton 360 etc so you can protect your information your ip on your computer or your business computers etc so you don't you're not susceptible for this my question is a company like colonial pipeline company um which supplies gas from texas the state of texas throughout the entire east coast so it stretches from texas all the way up to Pennsylvania. That is a number of states, a number of economies. How would they have such an oversight where their computer systems could be hacked into? That's number one, especially a profitable business as in big oil, gasoline. You know, it's a private industry and it's worth a whole lot of fucking money, right? And the article has said that they paid them $5 million to recover their uh, lost assets or lost data to recover their system. If you are a major Fortune 500 corporation, then these things should be in place already. I remember a long time ago, there was a Target hack where a whole bunch of uh, people who shopped at Target's credit card information was leaked, to which they had to strengthen their cybersecurity measures. And oftentimes, maybe reissue uh, credit card companies had to reissue cards. Target itself had to reissue their store cards, etc. So we can we know the history of hacking and what it can do to a business, to an economy, etc. How is it that they're still able to get into these systems? Now, <clears throat> there was a movie, uh, maybe in two thousand and seven or it was a part of the Die Hard series of movies with Bruce Willis. It was called Live Free or Die Hard. And the premise of the movie was cyber criminals were going to were attacking the government, meaning they were going to hack into all the government's systems, hack into all the government's operations, take it down and then try to extort money payment out of it to which Bruce Willis's character will then go and solve the mystery and kill all the the attackers, right? But that in, in, in that movie, one of the things that they mentioned was you want to make you can't make a security system that is so good that no one can hack it because then the security system or the security provider, et cetera, will make no money. So it was a theory that the people who create the protection also create viruses, ransomware, et cetera, so that they can continue to sell cybersecurity. Right. So that's just let me just put that out there. So this is where my mind goes when I read things like this. Right. So that that was something that was in my mind. Like one, two, if the, if, if the zombies came, we would all be dead and the zombies wouldn't kill us. We'd kill each other trying to get toilet paper Two, 
how does a company that makes that is responsible for such a large portion of the economy have such an oversight in terms of their cybersecurity? And three, how do we know that this is not a quote unquote inside job where maybe the provider of cybersecurity for this company says, hey, you know, we're not making no money because our shit is too good to crack. Let's make something to where we have to now we can sell, you know, more cybersecurity, et cetera. I don't know. Um, that's just, you know, that's literally where my brain went. So I said, OK, they paid them five million dollars to this company oh, not to this company, to this group of cyber attackers who the FBI knows of. The FBI knows their name is called Darkside. They know they're based in Russia. The I and you cannot question how much information the Federal Bureau of Investigation has. Right. We know when shit hits the fan, the CIA the NSA and the FBI have the best intelligence gatherers in the world. We know this. So for ransomware people like Darkside to still be in operation and then extorted $5 million from a major provider of gasoline in the country, the FBI knows them, but how was this payment processed? How are these people not captured? How are these people not caught? Like, how is this, how is this continuing to happen over from overseas place? When you send money, either you use Cash App, if you use Zelle, if you use Venmo, there is a record of the transaction, right? If ransomware uh, attackers say, hey, Colonial, we'll give you back access to your systems. We will release all of the things that we had for this $5 million payment. How does the FBI not know where the money goes? That's what I understand. Now, maybe again in the future, maybe in the upcoming weeks, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks down the line, we'll see guys in handcuffs getting arrested and going to jail and blah, blah, blah. We, you know, investigations do take time, but we, the money went somewhere. They sent the money to these people in, in the overseas place. So, if in the next, I'm going to give it some time now, in the next week, in the next two weeks, in the next three weeks, even in the next two months, if there is some developing stories or follow-up stories on this where the people who executed this attack would begin to be caught, I'll say, okay, this is not an inside job. They're getting caught. And even then, you still don't know. But it's crazy to me how someone could get extorted out of $5 million we know the organization that's responsible for the extortion. We know the location of the organization that's responsible for the extortion. And there's no arrests. There's no indictments and or charges yet. I think that's very strange. So when things like this happen, there's always so many different variables. There's always so many different types of, of factors that lead into decisions that are made. Right. Then these like things, things like this are never black and white. So I am going to be paying close, 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 close attention to what happens with this in the future. I can very much see cybersecurity, uh, cybersecurity agencies uh, making more commercials, making more ads, making more uh, things like, hey, protect your cybersecurity. Remember what happened to Colonial Pipeline? You know, is, isn't your things worth protecting for $99 a year? I, like, I can see it already. Is this a ploy from cybersecurity 
uh, companies to try and get more people to purchase their products because the security is too good that once time you purchase it, you don't have to purchase it anymore. Is this a, you know, uh, um, a, just a true extortion, random act of crime, random act of, you know, violence? Or is there such a bigger play that's beyond all of our comprehensions, right? And, and technology is the biggest industry in the world. So it's all, you know, it's all, it's like all weird to me. It's like, I don't want to be conspiracy man. I don't want to be tinfoil hat man. But when I read things like this, it don't just be like, damn, that's fucked up. It, it never, my mind never goes that way. It's always like, damn, that's fucked up. But who, what, where, when, and why, you know? So all I got to say on the gas shortage is, one, I don't have a car, so I'm not worried about that shit anyway. Shout out to the MTA in New York City going my way. Um, but I'm going to keep keep your third eye open, man. Keep your third eye open. Keep your third eye open and your ear to the ground. When you see things like this, when you see stories like this, and how it affects people on a large scale, it's very unlikely, at least in my opinion, that it was just a random act of violence. I think there are so many moving parts and so many connected people in this thing that we probably won't even ever know about that it's worth paying attention to as much as possible. So for all the people out there with the cars, I hope that you know you guys can get your gas up soon. Um, don't go crazy if it does take a little long. Don't be selfish. Don't fucking take, you know, 90 gallons of gas home with you and leave none for the next man who needs, you know, to fill up their tank. Don't do that, please. Two, um, we need to really like evaluate how we respond in acts of pa and panic and or crisis because it, we always do it wrong. We've been, we've been doing this shit for so long, bro. We've been doing this shit for so long. Whenever there's a small crisis, we go fucking nuts, bro. We go nuts. So, you know, keep your third eye open. I think there's a bigger play here, um, but it'll all come out in due time. It'll all come to the light in due time. <laughs> And so moving right along, you guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rogers Neighborhood. Instagram is R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-E-I-G-H-B-O-R-H-O-O-D. Twitter is Rogers Neighborhood, R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-G-H-B-R-H-D. There are no vowels in Neighborhood on Twitter. And I'm saying this and repeating it for the one millionth time because I ask you guys weekly to send in comments, questions, concerns, feedback, constructive criticism, whatever you have for me. And you guys never let me down. Uh, I'm so thankful and grateful for all you guys who listen and send in feedback, questions, concerns, etc. And so we are going to answer some of the questions that we have received here. The first one says, I am a new listener. So I'm sure you have answered this before, but how do you go about picking the titles, the covers, and the songs you play for each show? Well, that's no problem. I have no problem answering that. Um, thank you for listening. I appreciate the love and the support and the question. Um, when I first started like coming up with the ideas for 
the the show, how the show would go. I wanted to make everything connect. Um, and I thought about how could I do that just, if you were a random person, you just so happened to come across the Bronx Bias podcast, what would be some things that will catch your eye? You know, what would be some things that would pique your interest, right? So first I started with the logo. Shout out to my guy, Aaron Davis. He killed it. Made a great logo for me. Um, and then I was thinking, I said, okay, if I'm on social media and I want to, I'm in, and something, you know, is a new thing, how would it really grab my attention? What would be things that would get your attention to even just to say, what, let me just see what this is about. Even if podcasts aren't really your thing, what is something I could just make you say, you know what, let me just see, you know what I'm saying? Let me just see what it's about. Let me just listen to it for a couple of minutes, right? So I thought, I said, you know, let's try to make everything connect. So let's make the episodes have different names. Let's make each episode have a different like cover photo so I was thinking I was inspired by looking at like albums right like musical albums you know your favorite albums always have a different cover on it with the artist on it or with the a, a photo that the artist would like with the artist's name and you know parental advisory explicit content whatever is beyond the album cover so I said why don't I make for each episode an album cover because in theory each episode of a podcast is the length of a full-length musical album, right? So I said, okay, for each episode, what I'm going to do is every show I do, I'm going to, whatever phrase that I say out loud in the show will become a title. So it'll be so out of context that you won't really understand it. You kind of have to listen to the show to kind of get it, right? So, for example, the last episode I did, episode 59, was called Lima Beans. I named it Lima Beans. And I named it Lima Beans because I talked about how Twitter was cutting ass on my guy, Corey Guns, on Six Foot, Seven Foot, the Little Wayne song, um, for saying his opening line, the word to my mama, I'm out of my Lima Beans. So, I decided to make that the title. And then, for the cover photo, I decided to use a picture of Tyler, the Creator, uh, who was another musical artist in a blonde wig. So if you see that, just if you so happen to come across that on social media, you would say, okay, the Bronx Bias podcast, you would see the logo, you would see the episode number, and then you would see the picture. And you would look at it and say, what the fuck does Tyler, the creator, have to do with the Bronx Bias podcast? What the fuck does Tyler, the creator, have to do with Lima Beans? maybe I should give this a listen and maybe I'll figure it out. Literally, that's like my whole plan. I'm giving it out. Like, <laughs> So I just try to use a, a phrase that I say in each podcast or one of my guests says in each podcast, choose a photo that is sort of related to the show because also with that Tyler, the creator picture, I also spoke about him in my show um, for that week. And try to make everything connect so when you see it you really don't understand it if you just saw Tyler the creator the Bronx Bias podcast and it was called Lima Beans you wouldn't get it but after you listen to it hopefully the thought would be oh shit okay I understand why Tyler the creator is the cover I understand why he named it Lima Beans based off listening to the show so that's really it like that's it I just try to make everything I do in terms of marketing promo, episode numbers, episode descriptions, connect together. 
to where you don't understand it at first, but once you listen to the podcast, you'll fully understand what I'm what I'm trying to trying to get you to to look at. You know what I'm saying? And um, also for the music, it's just really how I'm feeling. You know, I, in the intros, I always like to pick up tempo, fast paced songs. It helps me with energy. It helps me, you know, get get a, a little more juice you know like if you go to the gym you like to listen to fast music it helps you work out better etc i just like to think of it like that i like to amp myself up you know to do a show you know because usually the shows are between an hour and an hour and a half sometimes two hours it's a lot of talking it's a lot of talking it's a lot of work it's a lot of edits it's a lot of retake so i need as much energy as possible to do the show to actually execute the show um, especially if I have a guest, it's my responsibility to be a good host. So I try to ramp up, you know, the energy, try to get my energy really high. So that way I can have all the stamina and juice to get through the entire show. Um, as far as the outros, it depends on how I'm feeling as well. I like to generally speaking, fade out the podcast with some softer songs. I don't want you to hear two hours of me screaming and then hear, you know, Little John or something, you know, because that's just, it's like you're still on a thousand. The show is over now. You shouldn't be on a thousand anymore. So I try to like wind you down. But also with the guests, every time I have a guest, I allow the guest to choose a song. So it's literally any of their choices. So as, as it relates to me, I try to pick uh, tone down songs. I try to. Sometimes if it's a song that's too fire, I will play it. It doesn't matter how fast or slow it is. Um, but then for the guests, when I have guests appear on the show, I always let them choose the outro songs to fade out with. So that's just my thought process. Like, you know, people really think podcasting is easy. Like you just take a microphone and you talk to it and that's it. Like there's so many moving parts. There's so many things you have to have an understanding of. There's so many things that you actually have to make a plan for. It's more than just talking on a microphone and putting it out on the internet. It's so much more. So that's just a, a, a small way. Like you, you see like how much you have to be into it to come up with these things and these ideas and these concepts for your show. So, um, but it's possible. Again, I don't want to discourage anyone out there. It's certainly possible. And um, yeah, that's just a little bit into my thought process for the covers, for the titles, et cetera. Um, and thank you for the question and thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate it. I truly appreciate it. The next one says, how quickly do you turn the page on an episode? Okay. Now, I, prob I probably you guys don't understand what turn the page means. Turn the page means just move on. How quickly do you move on from each episode? Um, it's pretty much instant. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's really instant. It's like, you know, I work the entire week, you know, since my episodes come out on Sundays, I have the entire week to prepare for a new show. Um, once they come out, it's like, I'm done with them. And, and not to say it like I'm discarding them or don't love them or didn't take a lot of hard work to do them. It's just that once it's over, it's over kind of, you know, like, I work my ass off to to make a good show to the best of my ability for what that week brought to me in terms of stories. I try my best to make it all fit together or talk about things or talk about, you know, frame things correctly. But once I'm finished with it and once it's edited and once it's put out, it's like I don't even think about them anymore. Sometimes people, you know, who are behind on pods 
Because some people like to listen to podcasts like a binge. Some people like to listen to five podcasts in a row. So, you know, I'll get, you know, comments and questions and feedback from episodes that I did, you know, five, five weeks ago or six weeks ago, right? And I will literally forget what I said. So if someone asks me a question literally related to an old episode of mine, I might actually have to go back and listen to it because it's just I'm finished with it. Like, so when episode 60, when I say, and this has been the Bronx Bias podcast, episode 60, we are out and I play my song, I'm literally done with it. Like, and it's not that I don't respect my, what I did or my work, or I don't appreciate what I've accomplished. It's just like, I'm have to be on to the next one because more things are happening. The world doesn't stop. So if I need to, I need to stay updated. I can't say, man, I killed it for episode 59. So I'm going to just really celebrate episode 59 and not worry about episode 60. That would make a bad, you know, episode 60. I'm not focused on it. So it's really just, you know, and again, when you are producing the work, right, when you are making this creation, you know, you are, you're, you're, when it's done, you're done. You know what I'm saying? Just like I said before, it takes a lot of work to make a podcast. People just think, oh, you're just talking your shit, you know, reading Twitter and talking shit. It's like, I'm not like, and it's a lot of work. So, you know, when I finish a show, I'm literally finished with the show (laughs) and I'm ready for the next one. So, you know, I just, I don't rest on my laurels, so to speak with it. When I get to milestones and I get to anniversaries and things of that nature, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll take a second and reflect. Or when I take time off, you know, I'll take a second and I'll reflect. But really, it's like, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. So once this is done and cut and put out and, you know, I have it on the internet and everything, I'm immediately working on my next one. I'm immediately working on the next one. And I don't even kind of don't even remember all the things that I say (laughs) on the show. I try my best not to say incriminating things because I really just won't remember them after I say it. And then people will be like, how the fuck could you say something like that? And I won't remember it because I'm working on the other shit. So, you know, I just try to just try to stay as fresh and current as possible. I don't want to dwell on the past because I don't live in the past. I live in the present. So, that's that's really it. Um, how fast I transition from episode to episode. And the last question I have for you today says, oh, also, thank you for that question. I appreciate that as well. Let me make sure I say that. And for the last question uh, for this week I have for you says, what is something that you always wanted to try to do or something that you never tried to do? Um, easily for me, skateboarding, skateboarding. When I was a kid, there was a great video game called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. It was for the PlayStation. I think it was the PlayStation 2. I think. I'm off the top of my head. I didn't research this one. It was called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And it was one of the most fun video games ever. Ever. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. They also had Skate 1, 2, and 3. And it was so much fun. I just had fun playing it. I never picked up a skateboard before in my life. And also when I was a younger person, there was young, a lot of young, young, young guys and women skateboarding. 
there was uh Ryan Sheckler. I remember him. He was like 14. He became like a pro a pro skater at 14 years old. There was Paul Rodriguez. There was um who else? Uh uh, you had well, that's not skateboarding, but Rob Deerdeck as well. They had the show Robin Big. Um, oh no, Rob Deerdeck was a skateboarder. He was. It was Robin Big on um, MTV, and then they had Rob Deerdeck's Fantasy Factory. So skateboarding was like kind of cool. I always thought it was kind of cool. So the first time I ever rode a skateboard, I literally put my foot on it, like my right foot on it, and the skateboard flew forward and I fell up in the air and a hip, hip fell on my back mad hard and I said this is not the sport for me <laughs> I said this is not the sport for me man I'm not gonna be putting myself through all this shit all this pain you know gripping my knees up messing up my ankles and shit hurting my back trying to do some ollies and shit fuck out of here so that was a literally one and done for me skateboarding but I always thought it was cool. I always thought skateboarding was cool. Like, just the guys who, like, they work their asses off trying to get perfect one trick. Like, and it doesn't matter how many times they fail at it. They want to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. I always thought that was cool. And I also kind of liked, when in, in my teenage years, I kind of liked the, the skateboarder uh, fashion. Like, I liked the the oversized shirts that they would wear and, you know, their, their monster energy hats and shit like that, you know, but, um, yeah, that's definitely one of my things that I always kind of like, but never really pursued because my pain tolerance is super low, (laughs) super low. I'm not trying to be killing myself for the sake of a kickflip, like fuck out of here. So yes, that is, that is my, that is my, uh, never pursued childhood dream i should i should say i could say uh but thank you again for the questions i truly truly appreciate them i appreciate you guys listening i appreciate you guys fucking with me i appreciate you guys's love and support and uh man i look forward to answering more and more and more and more you guys's questions man 60 episodes in you guys are fucking with me you guys are are really loving me man and I appreciate it, you know, I really appreciate it, so I look forward to answering more and more of you guys' questions, and don't be afraid, man, don't be shy, I will not ignore you, I, If even if I can't answer it on the show, I'll make sure to, you know, make sure that I um respond to you in the message that you sent to me, I'll make sure to do that, even if I know I can't respond to you on the show, so thank you again uh, for all the love and for all the support. Next on the docket, let's do a sports melody. Uh, we have a few sports stories that I would like to bring your attention to. And the first one is going to be, uh, pretty, uh, uh, negative. Let's say negative. Cause I have a lot of strong opinions on this story in particular. And I was thinking of how the fuck am I going to articulate this shit and not sound like just a complete maniac who's drunk off that haterade. You know what I'm saying? How the fuck am I gonna <laughs> even just try and talk about this? You know? And of course, I'm speaking on the annoyance, the thorn in my side, the pain in my ass that is Tim Tebow. <laughs> I'm so fucking sick and tired of Tim Tebow. I'm so fucking sick and tired of Tim Tebow. 
I'm sick and tired of Tim Tebow. I really am. You know, Tim Tebow, for guys who don't know, was a college football star at the University of Florida, uh, a Heisman Trophy winner playing the quarterback position, uh, who was really just a uh, uh, dual threat quarterback, really, a running quarterback. Um, he didn't really have a he didn't have a great arm at all. He didn't have an accurate arm, and he really was just an athlete who would snap the ball. You know, it was kind of like the Wildcat, right? And you know, he got a lot of national attention because they won the Heisman Trophy. He won the Heisman Trophy. They won the national championship, and you know, he's a, a extreme Christian. Oh, I love God, Jesus, and I'm not trying to. Um, uh, you know, say negative things about his belief systems. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to come on the podcast and try and attack people's beliefs. I never am. But in Tim Tebow's case, he never showed his talent. The reason why he was getting by, in my opinion, was because he was a white boy from the South who loved God. I mean, that, there's no other way for me to slice it. So, Tim Tebow gets drafted in 2000 and what year was it? 2010? I don't even remember the fucking year. Uh, let's say it was 2010. He gets drafted to the Denver Broncos. And uh, he gets drafted in the first round. And, and for some reason, this community in Denver was opining for Tim Tebow to play. Um, at the time, their quarterback was, I believe, Kyle Orton, who was not great, not a great quarterback, but the community was at large, we want Tebow, we want Tebow. When Tebow gets into the game, it is clear as a sunny day that Tim Tebow cannot play quarterback on the NFL level. It is clear as a summer's day that Tim Tebow cannot play quarterback at a NFL professional level he does not have the arm strength he does not have the arm talent he does not have he cannot read defenses he has a terrible throwing motion everything that says this person is not a quarterback what happens the Denver Broncos finally put Tim Tebow in he plays for uh what is it 10 12 games I believe for them they Back their asses into the playoffs, and they happen to win a playoff game against my Pittsburgh Steelers. Unbelievable. I remember that day like it was yesterday. And sports somehow, someway makes me more sad than any other thing in the world. I was so sad, mad, and upset that bum-ass Tim Tebow beat the Steelers in a playoff game. But that's besides the point. After that... His popularity became more than it was before, and he was already very popular, to where the term Tebow mania became the turn of phrase. Oh, we got Tebow mania, Tebow mania. We love Tebow, right? What happens the next season after they win that playoff game? Denver knows that Tim Tebow ain't shit, and guess who became available, and what did they do with Tim Tebow? Peyton Manning the longtime Indianapolis Colts quarterback becomes available due to free agency. They say, Tim Tebow, we giving you the boot to your ass. And they bring in Peyton Manning because however popular Tim Tebow is, they know that nigga can't play quarterback, right? What happens next? The worst thing to happen to a motherfucker who's already popular. 
the New York Jets trade for Tim Tebow. Now, the New York Jets at the time, 2010, 2000 and, 2009, 2010, going into 2011 and 12, were on the come up. They had Mark Sanchez. They drafted him at the top of the first round. They had, uh, who was their wide receivers? Um, Braylon Edwards and Dustin Keller was a tight end. They also had LaDainian Tomlinson. They had Sean Green. They had a great, great defense with Darryl Revis. Bart Scott, they had a great team. Calvin Pace, I remember he was a D-end. They had a good team. What would be the worst thing in the world to do when you have already a good team? Bring in somebody that will destroy the motherfucking team. So what do the Jets do? They trade for Tim Tebow when they already have Mark Sanchez. Tim Tebow gets a taste of that New York media the media loves him because they're fanboys over this nigga because he prays every single time he scores a touchdown. They become fanboys of him, and it shatters Mark Sanchez. Now, Mark Sanchez was not a great, great, great quarterback, but in terms of how they were using him, he was very good for the team. And the Jets went to two AFC championship games. In 2009, they went. In 2010, they went. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm 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 wrong. In 2009, they made the playoffs, and in 2010, they went to the AFC Championship game, and they lost to my Steelers. So they already have a good team. They have a, they have a good nucleus, and they're winning games. So Tim Tebow comes to town. It destroys Mark Sanchez's confidence because it doesn't matter anything he does if he make, throws an incompletion. We want Tebow. If he throws an interception, we want Tebow. If he botches a snap and fumbles, we want Tebow. If he doesn't, if he has a bad practice, you know, and the media used to be able before COVID, the media used to be able to record practices. If he has a bad practice, we want Tebow. When are we going to see Tebow? When is Tebow coming in? I'm so eventually Tim Tebow through whatever becomes a fixture in the Jets lineup. Not necessarily starting quarterback, but he's involved in gadget plays. Sometimes they line him up as a running back. Sometimes he's on special teams. But over the course of the season, everyone, except for his true fanboys, see that this motherfucker cannot play quarterback. They see it. He cannot play quarterback. So then what happens after that? After the Jets realized that they fucked way up and they destroyed a, a Super Bowl contending team because they wanted a little bit more attention, right? They let him go. Tim Tebow, uh, the next team he goes to is the New England Patriots. Now, if you know anything about football, you know anything about the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick is a mad scientist. So when I saw the story that Tim Tebow was going to the Patriots, I said in my mind, I said, okay, Bill Belichick, because of who he is and what he has done in the league, will transform Tim Tebow into a football player, not a quarterback. We're either going to make him play tight end. We're going to make him play defense. We're going to make him play special teams. Or he is going to be strictly a gadget quarterback, meaning every time he's behind center, it's going to be a trick play. Tim Tebow's on the New England Patriots now in training camp. Still sticking to, I am a quarterback. I am not anything else but a quarterback. 
what happens? The New England Patriots bring him into training camp, and before the season starts, he's cut. Gets signed again. Gets another chance. Another chance. So th- think of the timeline. Football in Florida, University of Florida, then the Denver Broncos, then the New York Jets, and now new, the New England Patriots. So he's been on three professional NFL teams. After the Patriots release him, he goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Gets cut again. So he's been through four NFL teams as a quarterback. If Bill Belichick can't make you anything, then you ain't going to be nothing. That's my opinion. Boom. He's out of the sport. He's out of the sport. He decides, you know what? My NFL career, it's pretty much done. I can't play quarterback at this level, even though he never admitted it. His actions just said that for him. He decides to leave and becomes a ESPN analyst for college football. Great for him. Good for the brother. Great for the brother. I'm happy for him. He's doing college. You know, when he goes back to Florida, they give him extra love. You know, he's breaking down college players because this is where he excelled at. No problem with that whatsoever. Get your money, King. Maybe two years into his broadcast career, Tim Tebow decides... You know, I always wanted to play baseball. I always wanted to play baseball, even though he became a football player, Heisman Trophy football player, hadn't played baseball since he was 17 years old. Whatever. I want to play baseball. I want to play baseball. Every single fucking team in the major leagues, in Major League Baseball, gives this nigga a tryout, right? Gives this nigga a tryout. He ends up making, guess what fucking team? The New York Mets. And again, he's just been a thorn in my side and a pain in my ass for so long. The New York Mets sign him to a minor league contract. Meaning in baseball, um, instead of, you know, coming right out of college and playing pro or coming right out of high school and playing pro usually get sent to the minor leagues, which is basically just a, it's basically like pro training, right? It's it's to help you get more acclimated to the speed of a real baseball because the amateur level to the professional level, especially in baseball, is a stark difference. You know, these guys are great. Like you can go from college where guys are throwing 80 miles per hour on their fastball to the major leagues where there's guys throwing 100 miles per hour on their fastball. It's a completely different world. So they send players, young players, to the minor leagues to get more skills, to get more acclimated to playing baseball every day, to get more acclimated to traveling, you know, things like that. So Tim Tebow gets signed to the Mets. He's with the Mets uh, minor league team for, what, three or four years. After the four-year period, he never was going to make the majors because he's not a good player baseball player just like he wasn't a good quarterback right he he plays for the Mets and the and the minors for about four years never nothing ever materializes out of it and he decides to go back to broadcasting again no problem how does this now why did I just bring break down the timeline of Tim Tebow's last 10 years because It was recently announced that the Jacksonville Jaguars with a new head coach, Urban Meyer, from the college ranks, former uh, head coach of Tim Tebow, uh, was going to sign him as a tight end on a one-year contract. 
So I'm reading this now and I'm saying a lot of I have a lot of thoughts. I don't dislike Tim Tebow, the man, because he's a God fearing man. He does a lot of charity work. He helps a lot of people come into his religious faith. He helps people in terms of charitable donations and philanthropy. And Tim Tebow, the man, a man, a good guy, in my opinion. He's an upstanding individual, never has any issues with the law, never has any, you know, real nasty uh, stories come out about him or written about him. A good person for the majority. He's very driven, very devout believer in his religious faith. No problem with that whatsoever. Whatsoever. But this guy just keeps getting chance after chance after chance after chance. And in my head, again, I'm drinking this haterade. I'm drunk off the haterade. In my head, I'm saying, why does he keep getting a chance? Every time he comes out and says, I want to do something, he is given the opportunity to do it. Why is it when he comes out and says, I want to be a quarterback, knowing he can't be quarterback, he gets to play on four NFL teams as a quarterback, even on a backup role? Why is it when he's been out of the sport out of sports, I should say, for two years and hasn't played baseball since he was 17 years old, can he randomly say after his NFL career at quarterback is over, I want to play baseball and get a baseball team to give him money and sign him? Why is it that every single fucking time this guy says he wants to do something, there's a whole bunch of people out there willing to give him these things that he wants? My opinion is it's white privilege. White privilege. This white boy with a nice smile who carries his Bible everywhere and takes a kneel, uh, a, a need to pray every single time anything good happens to him, you know, captures America's hearts because America loves a clean cut white boy with a nice smile who is a Christian. Facts. You can't debate me on that. And he can just do whatever he wants. And then it makes me think of, you know, because I follow sports. I'm a big sports fan. It makes me think of all the NFL busts in recent memory, right? Jamarcus Russell, um, Matt Leinart, um, Josh Rosen to some extent. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, Tim Couch, Ryan Leaf, you know, G Jeff George, um, Achilles Smith, uh, uh who else is a bust? Um, guys like that. NFL busts. Guys who didn't pan out in the NFL. How many of them would be given these opportunities after opportunities after opportunities to continue their career? How many? How many? And it, it this is why it pisses me the fuck off. Sports is supposed to be the ultimate you earn it on the court. You earn it on the field. You earn it there, right? Your favorite NFL players, your favorite NBA players, your favorite Major League Baseball players, soccer players, tennis players, etc. They have to earn it there. They have to earn it. You have to earn it. We don't respect Serena Williams because she just is a, a beautiful black woman. We respect Serena Williams because she has 24 tennis championships. We don't respect Michael because he, he made ball heads popular <laughs> and he got some nice sneakers. We respect that man because he is a, one of the greatest basketball players ever. Kobe Bryant as well. 
in the NFL. We don't respect Tom Brady because he got a supermodel wife. We respect him because he's won seven Super Bowls. So this guy is completely destroying, in my opinion, the fabric of what makes sports sports. The, you do it on the field. You do it on the field. You earn it on the field. This nigga's just getting handouts from every single witch body because what? He's a white boy with a nice smile and loves God. That's my opinion. So I hate this. I hate this for the Jaguars. I hate this for Urban Meyer. And please don't forget the Jacksonville Jaguars just had the number one pick in the draft. They took Trevor Lawrence from the University of Clemson. Trevor Lawrence has been regarded for the last three years as the best quarterback prospect to come out of college since Andrew Luck. And we all remember how good Andrew Luck was. Unfortunately, he had to retire due to injury. Why would you take away and shatter the confidence of this young rookie who's trying to get his bearings in the NFL, who's trying to have a successful career in the NFL? Why would you do that to him? You saw what happened to Mark Sanchez. He, was a, he wasn't the best quarterback, but he was a successful quarterback. And as soon as Tim Tebow came to town, it shattered his confidence. He was never the same player. It just happened with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz was the second overall pick in the draft. Then they, the Philadelphia Eagles take Jalen Hurts from the University of Oklahoma and it shatters his confidence. He cannot play for the Eagles anymore. Now he's traded. We've seen this happen just now. Tim Tebow. He wants to come and play tight end now. So he could play tight end. Man, listen. I'll, and I'll make sure I'm clear. I have no issue with Tim Tebow as a man. I have no issue with Tim Tebow how he lives his life. He's very philanthropic. He's very charitable. He's very respectable. He's a law-abiding citizen. He never has run-ins with the law. He's never connected with any negative stories, actions, or people. But as an athlete, fuck Tim Tebow. Fuck Tim Tebow. I'm so sick of him. I'm sick of him. I'm so sick of him. I'm sick and tired of this man. Fuck Tim Tebow. He don't deserve all this shit that he's getting. Think about, just think about your favorite football team. How many guys go in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. They don't get second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth chances like this. Sports is notoriously cruel in that way. Sometimes guys get cut off a team for having an injury. Sometimes in Isaiah Thomas's case for the Boston Celtics, he played an entire playoff series on a busted hip and he played the entire series on a busted hip, a broken tooth and how uh, his sister had just passed away. It was all within the playoffs. He never missed a game. He never did anything that would be detrimental to the team's success. He played the entire playoffs and they ultimately lost. And then you know what happened in the offseason to Isaiah Thomas? He was traded. Traded from Boston to the Cavaliers, from the Cavaliers to the Lakers, from the Lakers to the Washington Wizards, then out of the league, then out of the league, and then back in the league with the New Orleans Pelicans on a 10-day contract. Now, we don't know if he's going to continue to play, but this was a guy who was an NBA second teamer, which means um, the NBA does at the end of the year makes the best players they organize them into the first the second and the third team 
So on the first team, you have the top of the top, the second, you have the second tier and the third tier, etc. It's like a glorified Pro Bowl or glorified All-Star game. It's just an accolade. He made the All-NBA second team. He sacrificed so much for them, and they got rid of him. Because sports is just notoriously cruel in that way. So here we have a guy who has none of the talent that warrants this. He he brings nothing to the table. What does he bring to the table? It's not a a situation of Denzel's hating because he was on the Mets and he beat the Steelers. This is a situation of, yeah, that's part of it, but he just doesn't have the talent. And we're glorifying this guy who does not have the talent. And a black person in this situation would not be given this. I'm going to bring it up because I'm bringing it up. This is my show. Colin Kaepernick. He took a knee for social injustice. He explained numerous times, I'm taking a knee for social injustice. I'm taking a knee against police brutality. This is, doesn't have anything to do with disrespecting the military. This doesn't have anything to do with, respe- with disrespecting the veterans. I'm taking a knee because too many black people are getting murdered by the police. He's blackballed, ostracized, criticized, demonized. And Colin Kaepernick, if you guys hadn't watched him play football, was a bad boy. He was a bad boy. He was a bad boy playing with the San Francisco 49ers. He got his career destroyed. But Tim Tebow can just wake up one day and say, hey, it didn't work for me as a tight end. It didn't work for me as a quarterback. Didn't work for me as a baseball player. I'm 34 years old. Hey, I want to be a tight end. Who's going to sign me? And someone comes out and signs him. I'm so sick of him. I'm really sick of him. I'm sick of him. I'm so sick. I'm so sick and tired of Tim Tebow, man. I I really am. And I don't know what else to say about it. Um, I don't know what else to do about it. There's nothing I can do personally. As long as he stays away from the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, I'll be happy with that. The next thing you know, he's going to fucking say, yo, I want to play basketball. Like, I want to play hockey. (laughs) I want to be a fucking pro BMX bike rider or some shit. And they'll let him do it. He could just do whatever the fuck he wants. Whatever, man. So what I'm going to do for you, because I need to cool off, because it, it it really just is something that's very annoying to me as a lover of sports, as a lover of the game, um, is really annoying to me. It really is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you some clips from two analysts of sports media. The first is Booger McFarlane from ESPN. Booger McFarlane is known for doing Monday Night Football coverage, for playing in the league, and also doing for analyst work. He appears on shows like First Take. He appears on Get Up. He appears on a Monday Night Football Countdown, etc. Um, I'm going to play you what he had to say about Tim Tebow. And I'm also going to play you my guy, Shannon Sharp, what he had to say about Tim Tebow. Because it's really bullshit. And I'm glad that they are calling it out as what it is. Because it really is bullshit. So here is Booger McFarlane. And here is Shannon Sharp on Tim Tebow as a tight end. Booger, what do you think? You know what, Greeny? I've I've thought about this all night, and I've tried to remain calm. And and, and Jeff, you know what? You you make a good point about Tim Tebow, not to blame him. 
But here's what I'll say. Like, Tim Tebow's been out of football a long time. And, and Tim Tebow's been a polarizing guy. He knows that if and when he accepts, accepts this contract, that he's going to get a lot of attention. I, I, I would just ask Tim why. Why do you want the attention? Why do you want to come in and take the attention away from your, your head coach who you love, who has been like a father figure to you? Why do you want to take the attention away from Urban and Trevor Lawrence? Why? I would just ask Tim Tebow why, because the likelihood of him making it as a tight end in the National Football League is slim and none, Greeny. And I got news for you. Slim is on vacation somewhere in Saudi Arabia, so he's probably not going to make the team. So why would you do it? The second thing I would go to is this. If you're Urban Meyer, here's the thing I'll say to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is coming from college, where in college, he was the program. He could do whatever he wanted, and nobody would question him because he was the head of a program. Well, I got news for you, Urban. In the NFL, it's not mm -hmm. like that. He's already learned with the hiring of Chris Doyle as his strength coach. You can't do what yep. you want to do. You are not the most popular guy in the organization. So if you're Urban Meyer and you're Trent Balk in the front office, why are you doing this? taking attention away from everything you're trying to do. You're trying to build a team. You're trying to build a culture. And Jeff, I would just say to you, what is Tim Tebow going to bring to the table? What can Tim Tebow do for me and set for me as a culture that's going to help me? Because the culture in the NFL is really simple. If you can help me win, I like you. If you can help us uh, uh, progress and, and, and be a better team, I like you. But if you can't, I don't care what kind of icon you are. I don't care how polarizing you are. It doesn't matter to me. So for Tim Tebow to come in and take up a roster spot, Jeff is right. It's not his fault. But this is clearly on Urban Meyer, his decision making. And I think it's a mistake from a college coach coming to the NFL that's used to having all the power and what he says goes. Now he comes to the NFL. And I got news for Urban Meyer. He's not the most powerful man on his own team in the organization. That's going to be Trevor Lawrence, and he's got to learn that. So, Greeny, uh, I'm trying my best to remain calm. Tim Tebow is a colleague of ours. He is a friend. But for him to be in this position right now, it's, it, 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 it's a bit alarming on a number of levels, some of which I tried to lay out for you this morning. Is this a good idea or bad one? Hold up, time out. Why are you showing, showing B-roll of a guy playing quarterback that's a tight end? Mm. <laughs> where, where to play? No, 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 no. I need to mm. see some plays of him catching the pass. Oh, I, I like need, running the no, 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 no. You see him taking the direct snap. I want to mm. see. Now, when I watch uh, uh, clips of Kyle Pitts and I watch of all the Travis Kelsey mm. and, and Darren Waller, they're not throwing passes. They're catching passes. You're missing the point. No, the point is that you look, let's not beat around the bush. Everybody knows why he got this opportunity. Mm. Everybody knows that. Mm. He's from Jacksonville. They're trying mm. to sell tickets. Shad Khan is trying to sell tickets. They haven't been uh, uh, an item basically since Brunel, Brunel has been there mm. with Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCarty or Fred Taylor. That's a, that's a very, very long time. His ex-college coach is now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we, we, we know what this is, Skip. Let's not make this more like here's a guy that was very deserving of an opportunity. Do you know if, if I could just like open my inbox and show people how many guys that have played college ball that asked me, Shannon, do you know how can I get a how can I get a trial? How can I get a walk on? I was a this, I was a that. Do you know anybody? Mm. I got nothing. Mm. I got nothing. Here's a guy that has not played, has not played in six years, has not played in the regular season game in nine years, and gonna switch positions at the highest level and gets an opportunity. Mm. Really? So I, I once I heard this. I was like, he's getting signed. This is not no, no well, he worked out and we'll see. He was going to get signed all along. You know that. I know that, Skip. And so I'm just trying to figure out how many guys you think have, have caught. I want to know Urban. Urban has been a head coach probably, what, 25 years, Skip? Mm -hmm. 25 years at the college level? 
I want to know how many guys at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State had not played football in six years, and Urban Meyer gave them an opportunity to play football. Mm. But that's what he did for Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow hadn't played in six years. And he's going to switch position, a position he's never played. And he gets an opportunity. We know what this is. Not that he can play. He thought he was a, he thought he was a great athlete. Oh, Tim Tebow is a great athlete. Try baseball, what happened? Mm-hmm. Now, Tim Tebow is addicted to fame. Tim Tebow cannot let it go. That's what this is. He's the same guy that was in Denver. Mm-hmm. He loves the attention. He craves the fame. He craves the limelight. And here we are again. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I believe there's a better than 60% chance that he makes the team. Why? Because Urban is guy. Or is he, oh, he's great for the locker room. What? Ain't nobody. I was in a locker room for 14 years. I was one of the dominating boys. Ain't nobody listening to a third string, a backup tight end to get motivated. Mm. And, oh, he's going to help Trevor Lawrence. Help Trevor Lawrence do what? Mm. Now, don't you Tebow lover boys get in my inbox and start telling me, oh, Denzel, you just a hater, blah, blah, blah. It, it, I would be hating if he really could play, and I was saying he was trash. It would be hating. But the fact of the matter is he's not good at any of these things that he tries to do. He has no experience in any of these things that he's trying to do. And he keeps getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Opportunities that could go to other players who have played the position think about this when he goes to jacksonville right when he goes there and there are however many tight ends on the roster maybe i think they carry about three first string second string and third string the first the top two guys on the food chain and tight end are they going to be looking at him like what the fuck why is this nigga here then there might be some guys who you know who go in, who come in for a trial, who have played major college football at tight end, who have played semi-professional football at tight end, who have been on the practice squad for a number of years, who have tried to make the team. And they cannot make the team, but there is a roster spot made for Tim Tebow. Right? If I'm a football player, if I'm a tight end, if I'm any position, who I'm not a person who had to earn my shit, even if I'm on the top of the league, even if I'm miles ahead of Tim Tebow in terms of my talent, my popularity, my uh, sports resume, for example, if I'm Tom Brady, Tom Brady was the 199th overall pick. He had to fight and earn every single thing he ever got. Nothing was given to him. He got Bill Belichick. I mean, that helps, but nothing was given to him. He he would I would be offended by that if I was him. If I'm a great player in the league, let's say Odell Beckham, let's say Julio Jones, a pass catcher, let's say Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski, I would be offended. If I was a linebacker or a D end, they got this guy in the game? Please. So it's just bullshit to me. And I am drunk off that haterade. I really don't care because I know what I'm saying is factual. You could say it's hate, but I know what I'm saying is factual stuff. It's not like I'm just making this shit up because I have some kind of axe to grind with Tim Tebow. Again, let me say it for the third time. I believe that Tim Tebow is a good man. I believe that he is very charitable, very philanthropic. Uh, He is a devout believer in his faith and his beliefs, and I respect that. I will never come on here and try to demean or insult anyone's beliefs religious beliefs 
but him as an athlete is straight up bullshit and it's a pro and he is a product of white privilege and that's that's all i got really on it that's all i got so be whatever it is you know maybe trevor lawrence could turn him into something i don't know but it's really bullshit and urban meyer is not looking so great in his first few months as a head coach in the nfl i will say that he's not looking like a pete carroll he's looking more like a steve spurrier and nfl fans should know what i'm talking about or bobby petrino oh god my sports fans you back me up on that so that's all i got on tim tim tebow man whatever i'm not in the front office i'm not a gm so it, it ain't gonna you know it ain't really and he's not on my team my pittsburgh Steelers. so whatever bro but it's really bullshit and I'm glad at least some people in the media are saying it. Some people. Not everyone. Of course, there's guys who like him. But I'm glad that at least some people are saying that, you know, he he really ain't shit. I don't know why he's getting this job. And that's all I got, man. That's all I got on Tim Tebow. Now, let's transition out of that negative energy into some positive energy. Let us talk about the Cinderella team of the year, the... The, the, the team that has captivated the NBA, New York City, me as a, a, a long-suffering fan, let us talk about the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, as of last, was it Wednesday, are officially clinched into the motherfucking NBA playoffs. They are going to play postseason basketball for the first time since the 2012 season. It is a time to celebrate. It is a joyous occasion. And it's really, really fun being a fan right now. You know, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, man, shut up. You know, the Knicks make the playoffs one time and you talking all this shit. You know, they ain't the fucking Sixers. They ain't the Milwaukee Bucks. They're not the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they're not the Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Utah Jazz, etc. And that is true. But as someone who has been a long-suffering New York Knicks fan, it's just great to see. You know, I don't want to poo-poo it, you know? I got, again, I started watching basketball. The first time I ever watched basketball was 2001. Allen Iverson against Shaq and Kobe with the Lakers. And I didn't understand anything that was going on with the game. When I finally had a grasp of understanding the game and how it worked and who the players were, my favorite player of all time is LeBron James. I love Carmelo Anthony. I loved Allen Iverson. I loved Kobe Bryant. I loved Shaquille O'Neal. I loved Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki. And who am I forgetting? Another one of my favorite players from the day. Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. That's who it is. So, you know, I would just pay attention to the league and stuff. And being in New York, you know, you're, you're naturally going to be a Knicks fan. Remember, this was at the time. 2003 was the time where the new the Nets were not in Brooklyn, New York. You know, there's a section of the population who only knows of the Nets. Young people, of course. Only know of the Nets as being a Brooklyn team. But the, the Nets used to be the New York Nets in the ABA, which was the American Basketball Association, way back in the day. And then they were the New Jersey Nets. That's how I knew of the Nets, the New Jersey Nets. They were uh, with Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, Kerry Kittles. Byron Scott was the coach. 
Um, who else did they have on the team? Alonzo Mourning they had. They had Vince Carter. Like, I remember the Nets as being New Jersey now. Of course, they're in Brooklyn now, and it's different. But, you know, as a Knicks fan, you could count on your hands how many times the Knicks have fielded a good team. You know, how many coaches and GMs they've ran through. How many players that they tanked their careers and ran through. So, you know, just as a fan who's been watching them fail for such a long time, to see them finally just do something right, to play hard, to play together, play as a team, and to win is great, man. It's great. It's so great. Man, I, I, I really just love watching the team. The city is energized. People are happy. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to go to the game. The tickets were a little expensive for my taste. But, you know, I, I definitely will go to the garden. Like, I kind of, like, had the garden on timeout. It's one of the best basketball buildings in the history of the world. And I would not, I refuse to spend my money to go because they were just a terrible team. Terrible for so many years. You know, the way they dogged out Carmelo Anthony really got under my fucking skin. And I love Carmelo Anthony. And shout out to him. Carmelo Anthony just became 10th all time on the NBA scoring list. Shout out to my guy, Carmelo Anthony. I love Melo. I respect that brother. I love him. So big shout out to him. But, you know, they really, they have made so many poor decisions, you know, with coaches and GMs and players. You know, they, they we had the Isaiah Thomas era. You know, we had the Larry Brown era, the Lenny Wilkins era. We had the Mike D'Antoni era. You know, in terms of coaches, then we ran through so many players. We had Stephon Marbury, Jamal Crawford. You know, we had um, uh, who who Marcus Camby. You know, we had uh, we did a big blockbuster trade for Carmelo. Um, they had they signed Amari Stoudemire to a one hundred million dollar contract, knowing that his knees were shot to hell. You know what I'm saying? They had Raymond Felton on the team, who was more famous for pulling out a gun on his girl than doing anything on the court. You know, we had Tyson Chandler. We had we have had so many players. We have had so many coaches, and it never has translated into long-term success. So now, with Tom Thibodeau as the coach, anchored by Julius Randle and all the other teams, I actually, what I'm going to do is mention every single person on the team because I'm super excited about it. But it's just good to see. Like, it's just good to see, and realistically will they make the nba finals probably no but it's just maybe this is the start of something maybe other players in the league who are free agents for example demar Derozan or something will say okay i think they're doing a little good over there maybe i do want to come you know the knicks really hit rock bottom when Kyrie, kevin durant were like no fuck you <laughs> we ain't coming over there what the knicks we're going to the nets please so you know james harden when he requested a trade out of Houston, he didn't say, I want to come to the New York Knicks. He said, I want to go to the New Jersey. I'm um, to New Jersey, Jesus. I want to go to the Brooklyn Nets. So it's just such a long way that we have come. And hopefully this is just the start of something cool. You know, I, I would love to tell my kids and great grandkids about grandkids, grand, grandkids and great grandkids about when, you know, the Knicks want, finally won the championship. You know what I'm saying? Or you know, finally got to that NBA finals, you know, something like that. Um, and hopefully this is just the start of things to come. So what I want to do is I want to shout out every member of the New York Knicks on the team, active and inactive players. 
For uh, let's say, let's see, let's look at the roster. All right, shout out to Reggie Bullock. Shout out to Alec Burks, Jared Harper, Frank Nicolatina, Alfred Payton, Theo Pinson, Emmanuel Quickly, Derek Rose, Luca Vildaza, R.J. Barrett, Taj Gibson, Kevin Knox, Julius Motherfucking Randall. Obi Toppin, Nerlens Noel, Norville Pell, and Mitchell Robinson. Shout out to the New York Knicks. Love and appreciation for what they've done this season. And hopefully this is the start of many things to come. So that's all I got to say on the Knicks. I'm super excited about it. And hopefully, you know, in the future, we won't just be talking them, talking about them as a Cinderella story. We'll be talking about them as the top of the NBA. Hopefully, one of these days, man, I believe it. So shout out again to the New York Knicks. And before we get off the NBA, uh, let us talk. Let's just give my predictions for the playoffs and for the NBA awards. The playoffs is going to be strange this year. It's going to be really strange in both conferences. Remember, we got the playing tournament, which determines the last two seeds, seven and eight in the East and the Western Conference. Um, But. The Lakers are in danger of playing in the play-in tournament as a seven seed against an eight seed, which will be the Golden State Warriors. And whatever you can say about the Warriors, whatever you think about the Warriors, you know, uh, from, you know, their highest of heights, you know, first winning the first championship in 2015, then going 73, 73 and 9 in 2016, then losing to the Cavs, then giving Kevin Durant, winning the next two in a row, and then losing... Kevin Durant gets hurt, and then Klay Thompson gets hurt, and then they lose the finals to the Toronto Raptors, and then last season, Stephen Curry is hurt as well, and they have a really bad season. This year, they don't have a great team. Klay Thompson, unfortunately, got hurt again, but let me tell you something. MVP consideration, I don't know if they've ever given MVP to a a player who was on an eighth seed. Stephen Curry needs to get a lot of love and consideration for most valuable player. Seriously, seriously, seriously. I know they usually do best player on the best team. That's usually their criteria. But in this season, it's been such a strange season anyway. I I mean, I really would. I would not be upset if they said, you know what? Steph has balled the fuck out of control, doing all he can to get his team into the playoffs. I would not be upset if Stephen Curry won that MVP award. I wouldn't be upset about it. I wouldn't. And the Lakers, if Steph get hot now, because he gets when he gets hot, he gets hot. You cannot put that boy out. They got if they got to play the Warriors in the playing tournament. I'm worried. I mean, they got my guy LeBron, but you know how healthy is he? How healthy is Anthony Davis? We don't know. So it's going to be a beautiful mystery, to quote my guy Aaron Rodgers. Petty God also. Um, but let's just, just break it down. NBA playoffs, in my head, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy, they'll come out of the West. In my brain. Like, that's just, if LeBron James is healthy, Anthony Davis is healthy, and they're getting the contributions from Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, Andre Drummond, Montrez Harrell, Taylor Horton Tucker, etc. They're going to come out of the West because they have the two best players. But if the Lakers do not come out and let's say the Warriors get them in the play-in tournament 
or they get, you know, even if they don't make the play in tournament, but, but LeBron's not healthy and they get eliminated. I would say, in my opinion, the favorite to come out of the West will be the Phoenix Suns. Very surprising team. I love what they've done. And I love Devin Booker. Um, the Clippers, you know, I don't really believe in them. I, I still don't believe in them from last season after they tanked against the Nuggets. It's really just going to have to be a wait and see with them. I'm going to believe that they make the finals when they're in the finals. But I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, the Clippers are going to make it. I don't give a fuck about Kawhi or Paul George. I really don't care. Until they make the finals is when I'll say, okay, they're a finals contender. But I really don't believe that the Clippers are going to do anything. I think they're going to get eliminated either in the conference finals or in the second round. That's my opinion. Um, So I think if it's not the Lakers to come out of the West, it will be the Phoenix Suns. And out of the East, the New York Knicks realistically probably will not make it out of the East. I, in a controversial decision, I will say... The Philadelphia 76ers will come out of the Eastern Conference. I do not believe that the, the, the Brooklyn Nets will, if they have to play Philly in a seven-game series for the conference final or in the second round, etc., I do not believe that the Nets can beat Philadelphia in seven games. I do not believe it. So, finals prediction, the Suns slash the Lakers in the West against the Philadelphia 76ers in the East. Um, there's a lot to be determined until that point but that's my opinion that's my guess and my uh choices for the nba awards uh we're going to start with mvp again if it's not stephen curry and i understand stephen curry you know as an eight seed they don't probably won't want give it to him even though he's had a phenomenal season my mvp choice is going to be two choices or three i should say three it originally was i wanted lebron to win this mvp so badly i wanted him to win it so badly but of course he got injured and he missed a lot of games okay fine then i thought about joel Embiid from the philadelphia 76ers having a phenomenal season but he's missed a whole lot of games so then i was thinking okay if it's not gonna be lebron it's not gonna be joel Embiid. They not giving it to Giannis three times in a row. That's for damn sure. I know they aren't. Who would be someone who I want to win the award? So aside from Stephen Curry, um, my choices would be Chris Paul from the Phoenix Suns, Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets, or Damian Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers. Those are my top three. I think that I'm in order, Chris Paul, number one, Nikola Jokic, number two, Damian Lillard, number three, and Stephen Curry, three and a half, or three A, or three B, whatever you want to say, in terms of MVP. For Defensive Player of the Year, I got Ben Simmons. For the Coach of the Year, I got my guy, Tom Thibodeau, from the New York Knicks. Most Improved Player, Julius Randle, New York Knicks. For the Rookie of the Year, I'm going to go LaMelo Ball. People are saying, oh, well, he missed games. He broke his wrist. He didn't play the whole season. LaMelo Ball is, has been far and away the best young player in the league. Far and away. Anthony Edwards is great. He's playing well. He has. He's played well. But there's, you can't say Anthony Edwards had a better season than LaMelo Ball. So I got LaMelo Ball to win Rookie of the Year um, for the Sixth Man of the Year. I got Jordan Clarkson from the Utah Jazz. And for, oh, is that it? MVP, 
defensive coach, most improved rookie, six man. Yeah, that's it. So again, MVP, Chris Paul one, Nikola Jokic two, Damian Lillard three, Stephen Curry three and a half. Defensive player of the year, Ben Simmons, coach of the year, Tom Thibodeau, most improved, Julius Randle, rookie of the year, LaMelo Ball, and sixth man of the year would be Jordan Clarkson for me. Let's see how many I get right. I probably won't get any right <laughs> in terms of the choices, but let's let's see. And uh, I'm looking forward to the playoffs, man. It's going to be strange, but they're still going to be good. And they're letting fans back in, so it's going to be pretty good. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the NBA's postseason. And lastly, for you guys, I have a beautiful story, something that just brought the biggest smile to my face, something that made me laugh so hard. Really, I laughed so hard at this, and I was like, thank you for this story so I could put it on the podcast. I'm going to read you this headline, and then we'll go from there. This is from Fox News. Los Angeles area man disguised himself as a white guy to commit over 30 home burglaries, police say. (laughs) A black man who used a lifelike mask with fake hair to disguise himself as a white guy while committing a series of home burglaries in the Los Angeles area was arrested last week, police said. Investigators have linked Rakim Prowell to some 30 or more home burglaries in the region, Fox Los Angeles reports. He is currently charged with two counts of burglary, grand theft, and one count of vandalism, the Beverly Hills Police Department said. Investigators link Prowell to a pair of home burglaries in the affluent suburb committed on April 20th and July 20th, 2020. Investigators linked his vehicle to the crimes through surveillance video, police said. In images released by authorities, the suspect is seen with the mask and wearing glasses. In both burglaries... Prowell stole flat screen televisions, police said. In the security footage, they noticed the suspect always kept his mouth open, which they realized was the case when they discovered he was wearing the mask, police said. Prowell, age 30, is a resident of nearby Inglewood and was arrested May 2nd during a traffic stop by Beverly Hills police officers. In the car, officers found a face mask and other items that connected him to the burglaries, police said. They also said that the license plates on his vehicle were also stolen. Beverly Hills investigators are working with the Los Angeles Police Department detectives and authorities to determine if he is linked to more home burglaries in those cities. The LAPD Pacific Division told news outlets that Prowell has been connected to seven burglaries in the area and has been released from police custody, scheduled to appear in court on May 25th, 2021. (laughs) (laughs) I love that shit so much, bro. That is hilarious to me. That's hilarious to me. And... In reality, it's a great idea. In reality, it's a great idea. Let me put on a a disguise that makes me look white so I blend in with the Beverly Hills community. Now, there are black people who do live in Beverly Hills, but the majority of the people who live there are white. Let me, you know, just put on this mask so I can go undetected. No one will be suspicious of my presence here. And let me see what I could come up with. Let me see who I could, you know, catch the jokes on. I love this shit. That shit was hilarious. 
That shit was fucking hilarious to me. And like I said before, on a number of occasions, scamming never sleeps. If there is money or things out here to be gotten, people are going to find ways to get it. People are going to find ways to get it. That shit is fucking hilarious. That's some shit that you would see in like a movie. Like a guy, you know, who disguises himself and robs people. That shit is fucking incredible. Now, again, I'm not trying to condone burglary. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to condone burglary. I'm not trying to condone grand theft. I'm not trying to condone stealing from others. What I am saying is just I find this shit extremely hilarious that this was the way that he devised the scheme. And he was pretty damn good at it because in the article, it said he did it 30 fucking times. And they only caught him because, think about it, the same reason they caught him was the same reason why he did what he did. He's driving in Beverly Hills, California, right? As a black man. He's pulled over by the police in a routine traffic stop. They don't say the reason why he was pulled over. Obviously, it was DWB. DWB means driving while black. <laughs> but that's and then they find the mask in his car, the, the mask that was used for the burglaries after they stop him. If he was continuing to drive with that mask at, and appear to be a white man, would they have stopped him? So the reason why he did the burglaries disguised as a white person is so he would go undetected. It's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. But man, he I mean, he got got, you know, he got got and he probably will go to jail for an extended period of time. But shit, man, that was fucking incredible. I thought that shit was incredible, like a brilliant idea, a brilliant idea. So shout out to the runner up for scanner of the year, the runner up, because the scanner of the year, I did, what was that last episode or two episodes ago, Takashi Miyagawa, he is the scammer of the year, shout out to the early favorite for runner up for scammer of the year, Rakim Prowell from Los Angeles, because that shit was in fucking credible, man. And remember guys, before I cut out of here, scamming never sleeps. If there is money or things out here to be got, people will go out and try and get it. Scamming never sleeps. <laughs> and that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 60 of the Bronx Bias Podcast is in the books. I'm your host once again. My name is Denzel, a.k.a. Harry Potter, a.k.a. DeBron James. Thank you to everyone out there who likes, subscribes, shares, and supports. Thank you to everyone who tunes in. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on social media. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. Um, don't forget, I got merch available for purchase. You can check out bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com to get your merch. I got hoodies, t-shirts, tote bags, COVID masks, and stickers, and much more to come. If you feel so inclined, I truly appreciate if you guys do support the merch. I'm just a young black man trying to get some money in his pocket and stay out of trouble. So if you feel so inclined to support me in that way, it will be greatly appreciated and, uh, I, I really appreciate every single person who has went out and purchased some merch from me. Um, it is really, really appreciated, and um, I'm very thankful for it. 
I'm going to fade you guys out with a great, great, great song. And I, so I explained in one of the questions I asked, I was, was asked, how do you pick your intros and outros? And I usually, and I said, usually for the outros, I like to pick slower, cooler, easier type songs to fade out the podcast with. Today is an exception on that. Today I'm playing a great, great, great song that is a bit upper tempoed, a bit faster paced, but I just think it's super fire. I think this shit is super fire. It is called Where You Come From by DJ Khaled featuring Buju Bantan, Capleton, Barrington Levy, and Bounty Killer off of DJ Khaled's new album called Khaled Khaled. And this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode number 60. Have a great week. Have a great weekend out there. And I will see you guys next week. We are out. Keep it and I step in the mountain. These streets are cold, you better bounce.
We never stop, man, I'll be gone. Do it up, man, I'll go. Do it up, man, I'll go. Do it up, man, I'll go. Well, my locks you can't touch. Well, Babylon men will say you a bluff. Load up another cup. If you no mess with me, you a go see your million. We not the Congo long, just like the Amazon. Split big like a cylinder, man on beat like God. One question. Treat when he made the thing slap them and dreadlocks no play in a no bang around. And anywhere we go, we dance drunk. Get out, get out, jump, jump, jump.